The family has been described as the oldest and most fundamental form of government on Earth. The family is also God's ideal and model for everything else that makes his ecosystem work, as the saying goes, like a well-oiled machine. In a real yet abstract sense, not to understand the importance of the family is to come into life and then go through it crippled. When the family crumbles, or when it's totally redefined by humankind, entire societies crumble. Yet even when societies do crumble, those people committed to God's definition and plan for the family can still stand strong. Because the family also acts as an organic support system, one that serves in the same way that a strong and durable cable serves. Both are made up of many smaller or weaker fibers or members, but together they form something that is strong. In other words, when put together correctly, the family really is greater than the sum of its parts. History and scientific data back this up. The Bible does too. So today, we're going to be talking about the theology of the family. That's next on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. Shepherd's Hill is a year-long Christ-centered residential program that helps troubled teens and, by extension, their families. I'm Rich Rosal, and joining me as always on the broadcast is the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill Academy, Trace Embry. And uh, Trace, well, the family appears to have taken quite a hit in recent decades, uh, from divorce to different understandings these days of what a family actually is. And this is particularly true here in America, I would imagine. So what is going on? What What's the story behind the story here? Yeah, well, that's a great question for today's guest. But I'll, I'll go to my default reason for a lot of the insanity we're seeing in America today. And uh, I do mean insanity. I'm not being hyperbolic. Uh, if there's anything that's systemic in America, I don't believe it's racism, it's mental illness. And I think there's a case to be made that uh, preserving the nuclear family can even help restore that. I see it here at Shepherd's Hill all the time. But my default reason for the breakup of the family, in, in my humble opinion, and this is just my opinion, is the proliferation of the logical outworking of the postmodern thought that took root in the 1960s. Uh, I talk all the time about uh, how postmodern thought has been the root and culprit for a lot of America's ills, especially as it pertains to raising kids. But I'm not sure that everyone is always connecting the dots when I bring it up. Postmodernism is, is really nothing new. In fact, it's, it's the oldest dirt, but it's relatively new to our country. Uh, generally speaking, Americans have always basically had a biblical worldview. Uh, whether you are a, a genuine believer or not. Uh, people still live by the principles of the Ten Commandments, by and large. But in the 1960s, all of that got challenged and then changed. Truth itself got challenged. Truth was no longer considered objective or absolute. Charles Manson's truth could be as good as Mother Teresa's truth in the eyes of a lot of people. Truth became relative. Uh, there were no absolute truths. If it feels good, you do it. The 1960s were also a time uh, when the definitions of critical terms got redefined. Love became lust. Grace became license. And freedom became the freedom to do what you want rather than the freedom to do what you ought. But again, ought implies that absolute, that postmodern uh, thought has dissolved. The, the, the birth control pill became a thing. And then this gave Americans uh, even more fuel to justify uh, not only their carnal appetites, but there are their own realities, too. You know, sex before marriage wasn't seen as the potential for life-altering consequences as it was before, and therefore no longer stigmatized as a shameful or, or sinful act. 
And of course, sin and shame then diminished to the point that our nation actually legalized abortion soon after that in 1973. In the minds of many, it almost had to be legalized because America uh, was becoming one big foreignophone. Uh, consequently, systemic promiscuity needed a safety net. But people didn't think they had to, had to get married to have sex anymore. Uh, and, and all this also became a great motivating force for divorce. I mean, they called it the seven-year itch. I think there was a movie made called The Seven-Year yeah. Itch back then. And when the shine wore off of marriage, it was just time to find a new mate. And yeah, the American nuclear family uh, has been taking a bigger and harder hits every decade since. So today, we've got more kids born out of wedlock than ever. While in at least one American city, I think it's New York, and maybe more. It's reported that in the black population, they're performing more abortions each year than live births, if you can believe it. And we wonder why mental illness is at an all-time high. We wonder why suicide is the second leading cause of death among teens. We wonder why we're burning our, our own country uh, uh, down to the ground. I mean, if rogue nations really want to destroy America, they've chosen the perfect strategy. Destroy the family, redefine terms, distort objective truth, call evil good and good evil, and divide and conquer. But it all starts with the erosion of the family. Well, mission accomplished, folks. Indeed it is. But we'd like to see it turned around here on License to Parent. And that's why we've invited Scott Brown to join us. Scott is the director of church and family life and a pastor at Hope Baptist Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. He's a graduate from California State University in Fullerton with a degree in history. And he received a Master of Divinity degree from Talbot School of Theology. Scott devotes much of his time to local pastoral ministry, to conferences on fatherhood and church reformation, and Strengthening the Family. Scott's also the author of several books, including A Weed in the Church, Family Reformation, Preparing Boys for Battle, Preparing for Marriage, Helping Them to Choose, and a book that we very much wanted to discuss today, The Theology of the Family. Trace? Scott, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's a, a delight to be able to talk about these things, and I really appreciate it. Sure. Your book's called The Theology of the Family. Uh, can you explain to our listeners uh, what exactly you mean by the theology of the family? So uh, God created the family, and uh, he has prescribed various roles and responsibilities and purposes of the family. The Bible reveals all of that, and of course, the Bible begins with God creating a man and a woman and that really begins the theology of the family. Of course, you can back up earlier, uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the family in heaven really is the paradigm for the family on earth. So uh, from Genesis to Revelation, there's much to be said about the family. In fact, I mean, we, what God does is he places uh, Adam and Eve in the garden at the, at the end of the world. He brings his family into heaven. So uh, the Bible, you know, uses family uh, terminology from Genesis to Revelation. How would you say the biblical definition stands up against what many might argue as the scientific definition? And, and why is having a biblical understanding to the family so important? Yeah, in, in the days of the judges, I think we give, get a handle on what a secular view of really anything is. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. Mm. There's no king. Every man's following his own heart. So, you know, the modern functionality of the family really has arisen 
out of man's heart, not out of the mind of God. So I think that's the big difference. Uh, the Christian looks to the Word of God to, to guide his family life. The secularist looks to what they desire. So it's more of a carnal uh, perspective. Yeah, I think the carnal mind doesn't want to submit to God. The, the Christian wants to order his life under the wisdom of God, and the carnal mind or the secular mind uh, actually hates to do that. So there's a, no desire to really submit to God in family life. How can parents uh, better assure their kids that the Bible really is the best place to start with respect to a proper or optimum model and understanding of the family? Well, I think that the only way for a child to understand that is to be saturated by the Word of God and to see the the wisdom of God. Uh, the Word of God is powerful. It, it's true. And so I would just say that a child's best opportunity is to be exposed to the Word of God. Only God can convince that child that His Word is true. I think that's just a work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel in a child's heart. But somebody has to present it. Yeah, right, right. And that's what parents are there for, right? Scott, uh, I am not disagreeing with you at all, but I have heard people argue, yeah, but the Bible is full of dysfunctional families. Um, How does a parent help a child discern what God's model for the optimal family is, as opposed to the families that were, quite frankly, falling apart in Scripture? Well, yeah, the Bible is honest. It's true. The Bible tells the truth about everything. And uh, the truth is that we're, we're so harmed by sin. Every family that's listed in the Bible has borne the marks of their disobedience. And so I think the Bible is realistic that way. I don't, I don't think I would say that the families in the Bible are necessarily models for us, but they do, they do show us the dangers mm. of sin. You know, sin is the greatest problem in a family. That's why Job, you know, rose every morning to cry out for his children. He thought that they might have fallen into sin. And rebelled against God. So, but here's here's the reality. In the midst of all these broken families, God is faithful. God redeems the worst, most broken family. You look at the broken families in the Bible, and here's here's what I think we should come away with. One is God is a great Savior. You know, He gives faith that causes all the families of the earth to be blessed. And and frankly. When you see the the brokenness of the families, particularly in the Old Testament, I think you're just seeing pictures of the grace of God. God mm-hmm. has saved many of those people by faith. Mm-hmm. And God can, God can reach God can reach into the most broken family you can imagine, and you can see them in the Old Testament, and He can redeem. Sure. Absolutely. Hmm. Uh, so, what would you say Scripture as a whole says is the optimum model for a family? Right. Yeah. I think that uh, it's presented at first in Genesis and then the Lord Jesus and the apostles affirm it. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And then uh, the Lord commands, the first command in the Bible is to go be fruitful and multiply. 
Mm-hmm. So God desires the multiplication of families with a husband and a wife. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ repeats those exact same words uh, in Genesis 3. So does the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Um, so that's the pattern. And um, that's, so that, that, that's what a family is. A, a family is, consists of fathers and mothers. Now, um, you know, you also have the whole concept of the household in the Bible. The household is bigger than the nuclear family. And you have uh, you have widows and orphans that are inclu- you know that are included in the family. Uh, you know, in the Psalms we learn that he he puts singles in households. So you have this concept of the household, and of course, you know, and that imagery is you know carried on in the church. You, we become part of the household of God. You know, in the church, everybody has a father, everybody has a mother, everybody has a grandmother uh, in Christ. So we, if your family got blown up by some terrible sin or some calamity and your parents are dead or whatever, um, the Christian always has a family. Right. There's also the concept of adoption. That's a legitimate family, and God has adopted us into his, his family, he kind of grafted mm-hmm. us in and... Um, can you speak to uh, the model of adoption as being uh, uh, maybe not the optimum, uh, the perfect uh, model, but a model, would you say? You know, all my children were adopted at birth. So I've thought a lot yeah. about adoption and the meaning of adoption. And um, so adoption, of course, is, is a picture of the gospel. So that's why. And there's so many opportunities for adoption in the world today. And it's, it's a blessing to bring children into your home. Absolutely. We're talking with Scott Brown today. He's the director of Church and Family Life and a pastor at Hope Baptist Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And he's also the author of several books, including the one that we're talking about today, called The Theology of the Family. Now, we've identified in part what uh, a biblical family model looks like. We want to dig into that theology when we return. We're going to take a brief break. We'll be back with more on Licensed to Parent right after this. Don't go away. Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis, is celebrating 20 years of ministry. There have been many distractions in our work through the years as a result of a four-lane highway that divided our land. As a result, plans are underway to develop a whole new campus designed to improve our students' therapeutic experience away from the highway noise, along with up-to-date infrastructure and staff offices, all to help smooth out the day-to-day operations. The five-year, two-phase plan will begin with a new dining hall to be completed by the end of the year, followed by two new school buildings, also containing a new studio for licensed to parent. Please consider partnering with us, building together a new and improved Shepherd's Hill Academy. Learn more and make your gift today. Shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. That's shepherdshillacademy.org slash building together. And thanks for helping us provide healing to teens in crisis. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. 
They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. Listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with teens in crisis and, well, by extension, with their families. And in the first part of our program, uh, our guest Scott Brown, who's author of the book The Theology of the Family, was helping us nail down what a family, by biblical standards, tends to look like. But Scott, we, I guess, got so far as talking about a father and a mother and the two point three kids and the and the dog in the house. But, you know, you can have dysfunctional families that, that look just like that as well. So let's bring in what this theology of the family is that, that you write about. What does that look like? Yeah, I would take us to what I'm going to call the flagship text on family life in the Bible. I think it summarizes, you know, much of what is said throughout Scripture, and that's Deuteronomy chapter 6, and, and Moses is instructing uh, the fathers of Israel, and he's, and he really begins with love. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then he says, and you shall teach your children diligently when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So Moses, Moses really, he gets to the heart of family life, and that is love for God. If, uh, and the the idea is that if a man loves God, then he will teach his children diligently. And so I think that's the beginning of it. You have a you have a family where the word of God is central, and that's the guiding light in that family is are the mm-hmm. words of God. What are some ways parents can make family devotions and and prayer more appealing? Yeah, I think it's really simple, and I, I encourage parents just to think very simply about leading their, their family by the Word of God. First of all, the parents need to love God and love the Word of God, And but, I, you know, fathers come to me and say, well, Scott, what do you mean? How do I do this? And I just say, look, here's what you do. I'll give you 30-second training. It's the only training we give our men in our church. First thing you do is you open up your Bible and then you read it to your children. And then you pray for one another. And maybe you pray for the lost or needs of your family or the world. And then you ask, what things did we learn from your word? It's very simple. I don't, I don't think that fathers and mothers need to be given big, long sermons about things. Or It's not like a preaching session. It's 
opening the Word of God. It's the most powerful thing a parent ever does is when they open up that Bible in that family. It changes everything. And when a family decides to do that, the earth shakes. Sure. Let, let me ask you this, because obviously this it depends in part on the age of your kids, but um, the book of Numbers, for example, is not overly captivating writing. Um, and so how would you suggest that parents direct their own reading to their family so that the main points are coming across in a way that could be accessed by younger children, older children, older teens altogether? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, my, in my experience, children understand way more than we think they do. And it's kind of like, you know, with, in a, with a foreign language, a person understands more of what they hear than what they can say. And I think children sure. are like that. In my family, we just read, we just read the Bible through every year together. Mm. Um, whether our kids were really, when they were little. And then they picked it up over time. What you do is you just build up one layer at a time. And um, I think the big thing is, do you honor God and his word? Do you love the word of God? When parents love the word of God, uh, you know, they, they, hey, when God, some, a friend of mine told me, my kids enjoy me, you know, reading the phone book to them. They want to hear my <laughs> voice. <laughs> and... Um, so I would just recommend that parents read the Bible to their children, not worry about the stage of life that they're right. in. I never did. And, and I know lots and lots of people who don't, and they, they see tremendous uh, results from just reading the word of God. You know, it's almost right. like there's an element of magic behind it. Uh, I think I hear you saying uh-huh. that the word of God needs, really needs no interpretation or uh, sermon preached behind it. I mean, it's not, that's going to hurt anything, but, uh, I remember uh, at 12 years old when someone handed me a, a, a Gideon's Bible, um, one of those little New Testaments with the Psalm mm-hmm. and Proverbs with it. Uh, red red cover usually. Yeah, know. and mm-hmm. King James, right. King James. And here I am, you know, 12 years old, and I'm going through the these and thous. There were so many words and, and, and things that I did not understand, but something about reading that mm. that that book, that that Bible, that King James Bible, spoke to me and convicted me. And uh, so it just uh, speaks to what you were saying is, you know, maybe the parent that feels uh, inadequate to have a devotional with their, with their, uh, their children, just crack that thing open and, uh, and uh, start reading it and let, let the Spirit of God and, and the Word of God uh, do its own work. As uh, Jesus, when he sent the disciples out, he says, don't worry about what to say, just, just get it out there. Yeah, hey, and think about how the Bible is written. I mean, most of the Old Testament are stories about families and remarkable scenes. And even you get to the Gospels and think about the life of Jesus. You know, the Gospel of Mark is so fast paced. There's one miracle after another. You know, there's just all these amazing, beautiful things going on. So I think the Bible was written for children. It was written so that children could see the the doctrine in the stories that are there. Should parents make their kids do it? Well, yeah, I, I think they should. You know, you make them brush their teeth. You make them right. go to bed at a certain time. I mean, you're, you're the parent. You know, you're leading them. So they're not, they're not wise enough to, to make great choices when they're little. So you need to lead them. And, but, but I think delight is so critical. You, you know, 
people, you know, children tend to delight in what their parents delight in. Mm-hmm. So I would start with delight in the parent and try and encourage that parent to lead their children into what's delightful to you. Now, if it's dead and boring to you, it probably will be to your kids too. And I've seen parents do that. I've seen them, you know, I've sat in on devotionals where the parents given this devotion and he's about as bored stiff as the kids are and, and it shows. And uh, so the, I guess the logical question to ask you is how does a parent who has been entertained in the imbecility with a smartphone 24-7 and his TV and ESPN the whole nine yards. How does a parent who, in his heart of hearts, wants to delight in the Lord but finds the Bible and devotionals, you know, sitting down with his kids, just, it's a, it's a brutal task. I mean, how, how does a parent get past that? Mm. You know, you, I think you've alluded to this, Trace. Uh, you, you reap what you sow. And if you if you sow silliness and a lot, you know, the stuff of all this entertainment driven world that we're living in, mm-hmm. if you sow that, that's what's going to come up. So I, I think it's a matter of sowing and reaping. You become like what you delight in. So I would say to a parent, they need to just sow more good seed and that will come up. Yeah. Right. And, you know. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with praying to God that he would give you mm. the uh, ability to delight more in mm. his word and his presence. You know, I had Amen. a pastor one time talked about following the will of God and, and there's some things that I know this happened to me. I mean, I, I didn't want kids living at Shepherd's Hill. I mean, when we started this thing, I was hoping to do more of a camp type ministry, a, you know, summer camp type thing. And God was very clear. He wanted kids living here. And, and I had to pray, Lord, make me willing to be mm. willing to have kids live here because I, I knew that's what he was prompting me to do, but I did everything in the world mm. to suppress that. So I think if we pray for uh, a delight and for a proper attitude in our uh, Bible reading and our devotions, uh, that that is something that, um, that I, I know that's a prayer that will be answered if we, if we pray it from the heart and, we, and then we can take uh, what's in our heart and get it out to the highway. Mm. Yeah. Amen. We've been talking today with Scott Brown, the director of Church and Family Life and a pastor at Hope Baptist Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina. And the book we've been discussing is called The Theology of the Family. Scott, as you mentioned a moment ago, you've got many more books besides that. Is there a central location where folks can go to find all of your books? Yeah, go to churchandfamilylife.com, churchandfamilylife.com. Very good, sir. I hate that we have run out of time, but I'm very grateful for your carving out some time to spend with us today and hopefully open the door for more conversations in the home about the things of God and more of a study of God's Word. Thank you so much for blessing us with your time today, sir. Well, thank you so much. What a, what a joy it was. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, that does wrap up today's edition of Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a residential program for teens in crisis. And right now, we're celebrating our 20th year of ministry in residential care. Today's teens have it tough, and many haven't been properly equipped to survive today's culture, much less to thrive in it. Yet the kids here at Shepherd's Hill Academy are not only escaping the shackles that culture tries to put on them, They're becoming the future leaders and the change agents that our world so desperately needs. Unfortunately, residential programs like Shepherd's Hill are not cheap. It's not cheap to run one, and it's certainly not cheap to enroll in one. And that's why we need your help. Your financial gift to Licensed to Parent goes directly to helping families who otherwise couldn't afford to get the help they need. 
So would you consider a tax-deductible gift today? Just go to LicensedToParent.org and click the Donate tab at the top of the page. You'll find out more about the work we do here and also learn about the many ways that you can make a difference. That website, once again, LicensedToParent.org. That is all our time for today. My thanks to the guest coordinator for License to Parent, Daniel Fazina, and to our technical producer, Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to join us again next time for another chance to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.